it's a lot easier to speak when um, <clears throat> you can speak from your heart and you don't have a time restraint. Um, I'll have to compromise on both of those. Um, I want to make it clear. Um, when, when I talk about our company, um, the most important thing to remember, no matter how it comes out, it really is a story about God. Um, literally, we should have never made it. And you'll hear that in the story. Um, but by the grace of God, um, we're celebrating our 35th year this year as a potter and 13 years as a coffee shop bakery cafe. Um, I think that the problem is trying to, um, in 35 years, um, and actually it backs up before that, when we went into business, I managed a motel for my folks, and then we had an excavating business that went over the cliff, and then we started the pottery business. And um, there are so many stories. Which ones do you tell to really capture what God has done? And, you know, we'll attempt it. Anyway, um, I have to say that in my beginning of my Christian walk, um, as a businessman, I remember as an elder in the, I was an elder at the E-Free Church, and we had an elder meeting at the, in the basement of the Cowboy Cafe. You, it's right next to where the Rock and R used to be, downtown Main Street. And there was a guy that was an elder with me, and he always said when the meetings were over and we were walking out, he's a really good friend, he says, I just can't wait till you go into full-time Christian work. And I always responded, but I am. <clears throat> because... And this is in the days we were managing the motel. If I'm not in full-time Christian work there, then I'm wasting my time. I have to be in full-time Christian work no matter what occupation I'm in. A pastor, um, I don't mean to downplay, they're a man. They're a man of God who has been given a task to teach the word of God. A businessman is a man of God who's been giving given a, a, a business which he must manner and hopefully manage it in um, Christian principles. And I think that's what Jenny and I have attempted to do. Jenny is my wife. We've been married for 46 years. And um, she is a gem. Um, the other thing that really happened to me very early on as a businessman is I read three books. One was called God Owns My Business by Stanley Tam. And he legally wrote a document where God was a senior partner of his business. I mean, he, he went through several attorneys before he finally got one that would actually attempt to write that up. But then he did get it done so legally God owned the majority of his business. Another one I read was The Movers of Men and Mountain. Um, and that book took a guy who couldn't make it through high school and ended up starting a business and had a loyal batch of employees who backed him to the hilt. And that's where the big machines, the turnipoles and all of those, all of that machinery, that big heavy equipped machinery came through his innovation. And what a man of God. He is, has several universities that he has started and funded and takes care of through what God did in that business for him. 
And the other one that really, really impacted me was um, the diary of George Mueller. And George Mueller, I don't know how many of you might know who he is, but he was a German who lived in England, which was a conflict anyway. Englishmen didn't like Germans at that time. And he had an orphanage for 300 kids that he said, I am doing this as an experiment to show the church that one man can go before God with his needs and, and depend upon God to meet those needs, which he did. And in the end, he ended up with a, a larger orphanage for over 1,000 kids. And one time, he felt like he had let a need be made known to another man who met the need financially, and he returned the money. He said, I can't take this because I feel like I let you know about the need. I need to go through God. And I think that... Um, I hope that's the kind of a business we are. Um, we, um, we are a company that lives on daily bread. And my favorite job anymore is I threw everything we sold for over 20 years. And now I'm into management. I have uh, one to two potters that throw for us. And my favorite job is giving tours. Because in giving a tour, I can tell the story of God. And I'm cautious. Um, there are those that don't want to hear that. And um, I feel like that would be not a good thing. But it's amazing how many Christians come through our store and take the tour. And I always started with, we are a company that we are only in existence by God's grace. And I watch for their reaction. And if it goes south, I just tell the story of pottery. But if they're interested, and the stories never stop of the things that God has done uh, to keep us in business. Um, So we'll start with the journey. Um, Jenny and I started together um, when we started in business. We wanted to be a company um, where God would lead us. And we were married in 1969, and our prayer was, um, God, please show us the way. Uh, We really want to be your servants, no matter what we're doing. I became a Christian when I, I was raised on a ranch in, during da- ba- daily vacation Bible school when I was about eight years old. But being out on the ranch, we didn't attend a church very often because it was 22 miles to town. Um, and the church we were going to, um, they didn't really preach what Jesus Christ was all about. Um, Jenny became a Christian when she was a freshman in, in college. Um, she was rooming with a Christian roommate who wanted to go to uh, Arrowhead Springs for Christian break for Camp's Crusade spring break. And so she went there, and I'm positive she went there for the beach and all the stuff that goes with that. But why she was there, she found Christ too. And so she came back as a Christian and got involved in a Bible study. And of course, going with her, I wanted to be where she was, so I joined the Bible study. And I began to understand what, what it meant to be a Christian and what what the Word of God was really all about. Um, Though I had a lot of biblical knowledge, um, I didn't understand all the workings of being a Christian. Um, After we were married, 
and our I finished up college that year. We were involved with Camps Crusade for Christ pretty heavily, and uh, so we went to IBS that summer and actually applied for staff. I got a degree in business. I got accepted as an accountant to work in the head office. Uh, so we came home. We only had to raise, I think it was $550 a month in those days. And I worked for three months, and I raised $55. 50 of it came from her brother, and $5 came from another lady who called me up and said, when are you going to do your fundraising? And with all the people that I mailed after that, we couldn't raise a dime. And so to me it was obvious that God had closed the door. And so that began the process of learning to walk in faith, because then what's next? Um, I don't have time to tell it all, but I went to work on a ranch, then I worked in a in a business in Denver in the accounting department. But the end was we came back to manage a motel for my folks here in town. Um, and there was a half a block out back that my dad owned, but it wasn't zoned for commercial, and we needed to enlarge the size of the motel because I have a brother who has a learning disability, and then my folks' retirement, and then Jenny's and my wages were all tied up in this 25-unit motel, and it couldn't generate enough money. So I attempted to rezone the property out back, and I remember the night I came home, I was, I mean, I was really, really discouraged because I realized that we had lost the battle, that there were more people that lived behind us against us rezoning and enlarging our motel, and so there was no way the city was going to go along with it. I remember, and a reason why this story is so important is I came home to the motel where we lived in tears because I had lost. And there, it meant that what I had wrapped up into um, my heart so much was gone. And I was furious, to say the least. <clears throat> and I came home, and Jenny said, Well, David, um, I think we need, to, we need to thank God for that, because it says we need to do that in the Bible. And, um, I wasn't really excited about that. In fact, she said, this is so important. I think we need to get on our knees um, to thank God for what's happening right now. And so we did. And while we were praying, I was trying to figure out if I could start a pig farm in the backyard. Um, I, my mouth was saying thank you, but my heart wasn't there. Um, that's a long 18 inches to what you believe in your mind and you truly can believe in your heart. Um, but what the verse that she used to show me that principle became a verse that we literally lived on for, I'd say, the next 10, 15 years. Because this was just a beginning of the turmoil that we were going to learn to live in. In the verses, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. And his peace that passes all understanding shall guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. And I think in all of that verse, the most important part is with thanksgiving. Because no matter what you say with your words or what you believe in your heart, if you truly can't give thanksgiving for that, you haven't really come to the point as far as I'm concerned in really accepting it and being thankful to God that you are willing to go the route he's going to send you. And 
that was a hard lesson to learn. Um, 75, we sold the motel, and on June 10th, 1976, that was a big day for us. We bought uh, an excavating business. And um, if you've been in school where you have all these different people dressed up in their line of work, and over here you have the line of works displayed somehow, um, if you had an excavator and you had a guy in a hard hat over here, you say, yeah, that's Dave Lockie. You'd drive a line right straight down to it. And if you had an easel and an artist, the line would never go there. And yet, for 35 years, we've lived in the world of art. But when we bought the excavating business, there were two men and two major pieces of equipment. We owned it for four years. And in four years, we took the company from the two men uh, to nine men to five major pieces of equipment. And according to the health department here in Gallatin County, they said we were doing approximately 30% of all the, all of the septic systems that were being installed in the Gallatin County. We just received bonding, and we bid our first successful public job. We put a small water line job in the city of Belgrade. We were the first excavating company that brought a track hoe in to dig basements. There were a lot of track hoes around, but basically all they were being used for is, is for utility work. <clears throat> we, we really ran a great company, and I was, I was good at that. By the grace of God, it isn't like I made myself that way. It's who God created me. Um, our lifestyle, it was pretty lucrative. So we could do pretty much anything we wanted to do. We lived very conservatively because that's who Jenny and I are. Um, I had time. I ran and I was elected and served on the school board. Um, I was an elder in our church. And we had four small kids and, uh, and a business to run. And then in 1980, interest went to 21%. At 21% money, you don't build houses. You don't dig holes, and you don't put in septic systems. In a matter of a few months, we were out of business. I was raised on a ranch. I like to say that company was jerked out of my hands so fast, I never even got a rope burn out of it. It was literally gone. Um, I should have dog-eared these things. We didn't have to file bankruptcy, but we had three houses we were buying as rentals. We liquidated those. At a 10-acre piece of ground that we were buying up the Gallatin Canyon, bordered by the Gallatin River, two other sides by U.S. Forest Service property, and we liquidated that. Um, got rid of all the equipment, and when I was all done, I was back to having nothing. I was $60,000 more in debt, plus our house. Um, I know that God led me into the excavating business. I have a journal full of answered prayers. And I think God showed me there is a myth running around in the Christian community. Not with everybody, but it's out there. It's when God sends you to do anything, we can count on success and financial blessings. <clears throat> Under those conditions, I had failed. 
Um, myth number two. When you lose a business, this is a sure sign of failure. Because society will teach you that success is based upon net worth. And the more you have, the more successful you are. And by the most part, society really doesn't care how you got it. That's not important. It's do you own it. Well, with that, it was pretty clear to me I had failed. Uh, yet, I think the most, the most singly, the most important thing that I learned in losing that business was what is the definition of failure or success. And I was coming back from a retreat up at Glasgow, Montana. It's a long drive. And I've always been able to say, hey, I'm going to this retreat, and five guys would immediately say, I'm going too. Um, that had been going on for several years. And in this retreat, I couldn't get one person to go with me. So I made that eight-hour drive alone, up and back. And I, coming back, I was, I was really discouraged. Uh, I have to tell you that suicide was an active thought for me. Because if my responsibility was to take care of my family, um, I was worth more dead than alive with my insurance company. Um, it's amazing where the brain will take you when you're really discouraged and you lose hope. That's not the dumbest thing I've ever done. I'm driving back from Glasgow in my yellow pickup, and I'm reading the Bible as I'm driving down the road. Not only that, I'm reading the Old Testament. Nobody reads the Old Testament. But what God showed me, <clears throat> I got into Micah. And I think Micah around six, um, three or four, somewhere in there. It's a discussion that Micah's having with God. And he's saying, so what is it that you require? Do you want a, a calf a year old? Do you want 10,000? No, do you want 1,000 rams? Do you want 10,000 rivers? Do you want my firstborn for my sins? I just need to know. <clears throat> and there's this, this incredible verse, verse 8. <clears throat> and what does the Lord require of you? Oh, man, I'll tell you what is required. That you be honest, you love mercy, and you walk humbly before your God. I was, I was very honest with all of my customers. Mercy, compassion, sometimes I vary on that. But I still have compassion. But I definitely knew who my God was. And with that, I realized I wasn't a failure, not in the business. I had nothing to do with 21% money. I couldn't help that. Two years before we went broke, my wife had given me a set of pottery lessons. Um, her thought was, he's pretty good with his hands. He's really busy. Maybe one night a week, no one can find him. And when it's all done and said, with, maybe I'll end up with a pot or two. And so in 10 lessons, I don't know if any of you have tried pottery, but in 10 lessons, you don't learn a whole lot. You do learn how to center a piece of, pot, pot, or piece of clay on the wheel. If you come out to the store, I can show you the first pot I ever made. It's about that big around, and it stands about that high. 
And I was really pleased <laughs> with that accomplishment. Um, but that's all we had when, um, uh, as far as pottery. But Sam Van Dyken was a really good friend of ours, and he was the largest production potter, I would say, in the state of Montana, but definitely in the Gallatin Valley. And he was talking with his wife, and my, his wife came to my wife and said, you know, Sam and I have been talking, and he says you really ought to consider pottery. It's all about marketing. Um, we didn't know where to go with that. Um, I, ha I did have a, a wheel. I bought a, a wheel at a garage sale. I traded a contractor that, for some money he owed me for the potter's wheel to get his bill down. He was happy to do that, and I was happy. But I still didn't have time to really work on it. So we, we decided we really needed to pray about it. Not only that, I, I'm not a salesman. I couldn't sell garden seeds to my parents when we lived on the ranch. I just Salesmanship was just not something I did. But if we were going to market our pottery, I had to learn how to sell. So I had a conference meeting. Our church had a conference meeting I went to down in Billings. And so I took my, it was a dome leather briefcase, and I threw five pots in it. After the meeting was over, I, I went to five different gift shops in, in the Billings area. And I sold pottery to every one of those gift shops. I mean, I was ecstatic. When I came home, I told Jenny, I said, we have $450 worth of sales. She said, David, we're going to need a whole lot more than $450 in pottery sales to make a living at this. So we decided, well, then we need to pray about where do we find the market. And Yellowstone came to our hearts, so I called up the gift, the gift buyer at the, from the gift shop. And his comment was, you know, we have a potter who lives here in, in the park, and he's our potter in residence. And I said, yeah, I know, that's Carl Sheehan. He's a great potter. The difference is Carl is an artistic potter. And I'm just, I'm a purely production potter, so the cost of my wares are a lot less. People, more people can afford our stuff. And uh, I don't know where that came from. But he said, all right, we'll take a look at your samples. So I built a barnwood display case. I hauled it up there in the back of the Bronco, set it all up, and the guy came out and looked at it. Those pots were pretty rough. And he looked at him and he said, yeah, well, come on in the office. And he proceeded to write a $7,200 order. I, I was ecstatic. So we came home, and uh, we uh, poured a concrete slab in the backyard. I bought a book on how to build a kill. I'd never fired a kill. I'd never mixed a batch of glaze. And so we had a whole lot to learn. Um, but it appeared that's the direction God was sending us. As I stated before, I, I am not an artist. And I have a lot of my good friends when I say that, and they're in our store, and they say, how can you say that looking at your pottery that you're not an artist? Well, I'm not an artist. Um, God taught me enough that we can make a living at it. I am a good potter. I don't want to discount that. Our pottery was good. It was of high quality, and we had good colors. But it isn't because I'm an artist. It's like if you take one of these paint-by-number pictures and you get all done with it and you set it far enough away, you can't tell that it's a paint-by-number picture because the paint blends in. And it looks like somebody actually painted that picture. I'm one of those that paints by numbers. Um, but I don't want to discount what God did with a willing heart. Um, 
We used to do shows. We'd do like 14 shows in a row. That meant that for 14 weeks, I worked seven days a week. Because the shows will run on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We get home on Monday. Now I have an inventory problem. So I'm back at the wheel building inventory for the next show and crashing firing so that I can get them out. We did that for a couple of years and finally said, you know, there's got to be another way. So we began to look for wholesale markets, and we applied um, for the Beckman's Gift Show, and we were ecstatic when we were accepted. What I didn't understand, the Beckman's Gift Show was held in the L.A. arena, sports arena. The way they set the show up on the basement, it's similar to the field house. The basement floor will hold 400 to 700 artist booths, and there were about 250 to 300 booths down there. But the elite artists got in the upper floor, the mezzanine, and there were only 70 of them. And that's where a buyer would come in if you had a very short period of time, you just made the upgrade route. If you had a lot of time, you'd come downstairs and you would fight your way through 300 booths just looking to see if there was something unique enough to buy. Our sales were running about twenty to $26,000 the first two years. But <clears throat> when you fill out an application, you always pick the choicest place. Like an end booth is always a lot better than being in the center of a long line. But to get in the, the upper stairs one, you always applied for that, knowing you would be denied. You'd be downstairs, hoping you'd be on an end booth, which you very seldom ever did. Our third year, <clears throat> excuse me, we got accepted to the upper level. And going from making $20,000 a year in sales, we jumped to almost 60, which produced another problem. How in the world was I ever going to learn how to throw $60,000 with pottery in about four to six months? Well, fortunately, we had a little item that was a bell unit. Um, had three little bells hanging on a piece of braided jute. And it used to take me about a minute to throw one of those little bells start to finish. I threw on the hump. I'd put like 25 to 30 pounds of clay, center it off, and then I'd start working just off the top. Jenny is out watching me one day, and she said, you think you could throw those any faster? And I have ADD really bad, so it's hard for me to stay concentrated. Um, and you have to understand, she never said that in a bad way. But in reality, do you think I could throw a little faster? Well, it did tick me off a little bit. So I went downtown and I bought a timer. And this timer was good from anywhere from one second to ten minutes, maybe more. But I could set it for a minute. And I hot glued a long stick on it so it was sitting right in front of my lump of clay. And I went to work. And... Anytime I could start to finish a bell and beat the timer three or four times in a row, I'd trim a few seconds off. I quit timing when I consistently threw a bell every 13 seconds. Now, because my brain works like that, it worked like that, which meant instead of throwing a ceramic student who gets their degree at MSU, because they're not... um, Having to work in the production level, if they threw four, maybe six mugs an hour, that's about what they can do. When I was at the height of my throwing, I would throw between 40 and 60 mugs an hour. My biggest production day I ever had is I threw 1,200 little bells in one day, 
And then as you're throwing them, they dry, so you're turning them upside down because you have to trim the bottom off, which is flat, into a dome and drill a hole in it. And I trimmed out 750 of those little bells. Now, I started early, and I worked late. But that is what you can do when the pressure is on. I'm throwing, we were selling between three and 6,000 of these units every year. So that meant I had to produce, throw, trim, glaze, and fire between nine and 18,000 little bells. But that taught me how to work quick, which helped solve the problem of producing the 7,200. They're the $60,000 worth of pottery. I got a short jump, so I'm jumping ahead. We always watched the figures, and every year our sales would go up until one year they didn't go up, they dropped. And so we had a, every year Jenny and I would take a three-day um, retreat, and the purpose was to pray and, through our spiritual, our personal, and our business goals for the year to come. And one of those days we really spent in the books to find out where we were, where we were headed, and it was a shock that we had dropped in sales. Um, so we began to pray about it. what are we going to do about it. Well, we first had to say, why did that happen? And the reason it happened is I had a production schedule that if I met my weekly production schedule, we run out to eat, which that's my favorite thing to do. So I, I had a carrot always in front of me. And so I, in five years, six years, I only missed production week about twice. Um, but that helps you set the standard of what we were selling, uh, the production numbers. So in praying about this, seven, this decrease and what we needed to do, um, somehow in our prayer time it came up, but maybe we should try to do one of these kiosks that's in a mall. And so I'm thinking about it, and the Rimrock Mall is, at that time was the, busy, the largest and the fanciest of all the malls, I think, in the state. So we called them up. Um, a booth uh, for the Christmas season was $14,000. And for our company, that's a huge chunk of money. But we decided after praying about it that that was the right route to go. So we did it, and it proved to be very lucrative. Year two, what are we going to do now for the kiosk? I'm looking at Billings pools from North and South Dakota, Wyoming, and Montana. It's a huge, huge sale base, and I'm arguing hard for Billings. And my son Josh and my wife are wanting to try to do one in Bozeman. I'm saying Bozeman only has the Bozeman area, maybe a little bit more, but not much. I can't imagine that they could pull the market that, this, that the Billings store could do. And we prayed about it. We haven't come to a decision. And I like to think that I'm the top dog on the list, so eventually when you can't come to a decision, I pull the calling shots, which I was doing. And I have this ailment. It's called trigeminal neurology. It's this excruciating shooting pain up through your face. And in the middle of our argument, we hit one of those. And they can last anywhere from 6 to 18 minutes. It's like sticking your finger in a, in a light socket. Uh, and immediately, if I can't talk and I put a hand out, Jenny knows what's going on. She'll put two of these pills in my mouth, or in my, in my hand, and I'll pop them in my mouth. And when I can physically know and take the pain of swallowing those two pills with a little bit of water, I'll down the pills. And you wait about 18 minutes, and it's like a switch. It goes away, just like that. Well, I had one of those during our arguments. <laughs> when the, flip, the switch was flipped, Jenny looked at me, and she said, we're doing Bozeman. And I knew <laughs> I had lost that argument. So we started doing Bozeman. 
And Bozeman was less than a third the account of rent. And yet our sales actually, after we did it, are greater than they were in, Bo- in Billings. So we, our profit actually went up more. Time just flies. It's a problem with the heart talking. 2003, we were able to build, buy the little building. I have two stories I have to tell, and I'll be done. In 2003, we had been looking for about five years for a retail outlet. And coming back from the Boise show, there was a for sale sign on the highway that was not there when we went down on Thursday. So we pulled into the driveway, and here's our little building. We had, we had not only paid off the excavating business, which took 15 years, we continued to pay and we got our house cleared so that when the time came, we had the collateral to buy that building. But we, we took a retreat and said, all right, we have to set some standards. We need a mission statement for what our business is going to be when we start a retail market. So one of the things we decided is that we would not be open on Sunday. And then we wrote a three statements. Our first one is to meet immediate needs, which is obvious. That's food, clothing, and shelter. The second one is to help us get out of debt. We really want to be out of debt. But the fourth one is the heart of our company, and it's make time for ministry. And I wish I could tell you what that really means. But what it tells us is that we sell really great pottery, and we have a food line that doesn't quit. But that's not who we are. It's really about people, whether it's our team that works with us or whether it's a customer that's coming through the door. They are what is important. We will continue to make good food. We will continue as long as we can to make good pottery. But we are reminded daily it's really about people. Man, it really goes. But I have to tell you this story. Um, anybody that, well, you all do it once a year anyway. You have to deal with the IRS. I had my funds cleaned out one time for not paying taxes on time, and that is a fright because I had mailed, I mean, it was back when we weren't doing all that well. We didn't have that much money, and I deposited a large check from a wholesale customer into our account, and when I deposited that in the bank, I mailed out checks that equaled that check. And 30 minutes later, I got a notice from the bank that the IRS had cleaned out my accounts, which meant I had that much money going out with non-sufficient. It's the way it is. I was able to make a contract with the IRS. What I want you to understand is the United States is, one of the, is the most powerful country in this world. And the IRS is one of the most powerful entities within the government of the United States. I'll tell an abbreviated story. About four years ago, we meet with our bookkeeper every, every two weeks. That's when we do. I mean, we meet with him every week, but we have a, a payroll every two weeks. Um, and we met with him in February, and, and he says, you're under about $3,500 in meeting your payroll. But he says, it's no big deal. He says, you have till Friday, the weekend, to get money in the account to cover it. I said, well, I don't have any. Um, our accounts are pretty well paid up. Um, I don't have anything that's coming in that I'm aware of. Uh, the only thing I can think we can do is we need to pray. He was a Christian bookkeeper. So he said, all right, we'll pray. So we did. I led us in a prayer, asking God to meet our needs. And uh, when we got done praying, he had thought about it while I was praying. And he said, you know, I really don't need it by the weekend. 
but you do need it by Tuesday because that's when the checks will start clearing. On Tuesday, we had the $3,500 plus a couple hundred dollars. That's the same scenario for $4,500, for $5,700, for $7,200, for $9,000. The big one was $12,000. I know what our company can and can't do, and I've seen a lot, but meeting a $12,000 deal, I didn't know how we'd do that. That would be a real act of God. To me, it was like parting the Red Sea. But that's where we are. So we prayed about it, and sure enough, by Tuesday, we had the money in the account. Um, Next pay period, it's just before April 15th. We had refinanced. We had to change how we reported our interest, so we had a $7,200 tax bill that I hadn't made a deposit on, which also was going to be due. And the pay, we were under the water by another $12,000, and only I know it's not $12,000. It's 19,000. <laughs> um, I didn't know how God would do that one. Um, but by Tuesday, we had a little over the $9,000. And then I got a letter in the mail. It said, Dear Mr. David Lockie, you do not need to make any more tax deposits until May 3rd. Now, in this powerful entity of the IRS, Even they, oh, and that letter was not solicited by myself, by my bookkeeper, or by my wife. It just showed up. The message is, even the IRS, as powerful as they are, are not above the hand of God when he moves. It's it's incredible. I think when I give tours, the thing that I hear more than anything else is that this is so refreshing. Or, this is, has been such an encouragement. Those are the things I hear from Christians. And the reason I think that is what they see or what they feel is that we are a company that even today, we live by daily bread. Last week, we'd have had to dip into our reserve to meet our payroll. We had an incredible weekend of sales. Plus, we had a $3,700 income from wholesale mugs we'd shipped out. And at the end of the day, we did not need to tap into our reserves. That is how God works. Not in every case. Not for everybody. But for us, that's what he's been doing for 35 years. And my goal, no matter what you've heard here today, is that I am who I am because God made me the way I am. The same as he's made each one of you unique. You can never wear my cloak. You can never have my story. But he has a story for you. And he has a cloak for you to wear. Be busy. Be in who God made you. To give him the glory in full-time Christian work. Thank you.